0: One of the top goals of the climate crowd is development of a new jet fuel. Now, a group of federal departments and agencies has launched a public challenge to develop such a fuel and the infrastructure to support it. It's called the Sustainable Aviation Fuel Grand Challenge. Joining me with details of what's going on, Energy Department Chemical Engineer Zia Hack. Mr. Hack, good to have you with us.
1: Good to be with you, Tom.
0: First of all, tell us, what are the goals? What are you trying to develop eventually? I guess this would be industry would do the work. What is it we're seeking here?
1: So we are seeking very low carbon intensity, sustainable aviation fuels, and we're seeking large volumes. So our goals are twofold. The first goal is 3 billion gallons. Per year of sustainable aviation fuels production by 2030. And the second goal is 35 billion gallons per year of SAF production by 2050. So these are very ambitious goals, and the federal government will not do it alone. We have to do it in partnership and collaboration with our industry partners.
0: Now, jets use basically kerosene right now. Correct. So this Correct. would be a synthetic way of making kerosene without using yes. fossil fuels? Is that essentially what the challenge that's
1: essentially what it is with the caveat that on a life cycle basis the carbon emissions have to be lower than fossil fuels and we are exploring pathways that will allow us to achieve anywhere on the order of 50 percent to 80 percent lower greenhouse gas emissions on a life cycle basis for these fuels
0: so that means when you say life cycle basis both the production of it and the burning of it in the engines of the planes
1: that is correct that is correct So the burning piece, on the burning side, it'll be the same carbon emissions. But if you look at the upstream carbon emissions associated with the production of the fuel, and you take all of that into account, then the total life cycle emissions will be less than what the fossil fuels provide. That's the benefit of these fuels.
0: And this is not a brand new problem. People have looked at algae and all these different things. And I know the Air Force is vitally interested in this because of its. I think it's the biggest fuel consumer of jet fuel anywhere, more than the airlines and so on. What is the state of the art at this point now? What is the technical challenge?
1: Yeah, the technical challenge is that we have a number of different pathways that allow us to produce these fuels at a pilot and a lab scale. The technical challenge is really to scale these up we need to get to commercial scale production of these fuels. And we have seven pathways that are already approved by ASTM for blending at up to a 50% blend level. Our SAF with conventional jet fuels. So those fuels, those seven approved pathways have gone through the rigorous process of ASTM approval and have been certified to be identical essentially from an operational point of view with conventional jet fuels. So the technical challenge really is scale up and really reducing the cost of production. That's what we are working on at our national labs. We have a variety of different pathways. You mentioned algae, but we're also working on biomass, waste materials, wet wastes, industrial waste gases, and even CO2. So directly taking CO2 and making fuel from that and then using that in jet fuels. And so we're working on reducing the cost. We need to make it cost competitive. It's currently much more expensive than conventional jet, but that's what we're working on.
0: And there's also an infrastructure requirement here, almost like electric cars, you need the charging infrastructure to make electric cars practical, good as they might be by themselves. Same issue with aviation fuel.
1: So the infrastructure piece is interesting. It's not quite the same as batteries. We would have to build out production infrastructure. The production infrastructure can be built separate from the airports, can be built you know, in some other location where you would do the conversion piece. And then once it is produced at that facility, then it should be compatible with existing pipelines or existing infrastructure at the airports to deliver to the airplane. So there's still a little bit of an infrastructure issue in the sense that we would have to blend the fuel, We are working on 100% need fuel, but right now we would have to blend. And so where that blending would happen, and then in terms of the conversion facility and where that conversion facility would be sited, those are the infrastructure pieces that have to be developed.
0: We're speaking with Zia Hack. He is a chemical engineer in the Bioenergy Technologies Office at the Energy Department. So lots of sub-challenges here in this whole grand challenge. What are the other agencies working with you? There's a big formal group, correct, that is launching this challenge?
1: Correct, we have very excellent collaboration with our colleagues at the US Department of Agriculture and with the Federal Aviation Administration. The three agencies are really the co-leads of this SAF Grand challenge roadmap. So we're working very closely with them. As you know, all of these agencies bring unique expertise to the table. So USDA brings the feedstock expertise, FAA brings the end use and certification and qualification expertise, DOE brings the conversion technology expertise, So together we have a multi-agency effort at trying to reduce the carbon intensity of aviation. And that's what is really needed. This is not a challenge that any one agency can solve. And so we really feel that the multi-agency approach is what's needed to solve this critical
0: problem. And what is the nature of the challenge? That is to say, are you looking for ideas and then people get seed money to develop the idea, the traditional way of step-by-step in challenges? How does that all work?
1: At DOE, we have a grant program, which is administered by my office, the Bioenergy Technologies Office, which is based on annual appropriations. And so based on what budget we get from Congress, we allocate grants that are cost-shared. And so they require 50% or 20% cost share or something like that, depending on the scale. And we look at scaling up technologies from the pilot to the demonstration and, you know, scales and even the bench scales. So that's how we work in my office, the BioNTech Technologies Office. We also have a sister office in DOE called the Loan Program Office, LPO, that does loans. So basically, you know, federal guarantees of loans. And so they're looking at much larger projects at commercial scale projects, and they would underwrite the loan of that project for financing purposes. So we have a variety of different ways that we're approaching this from the very low TRL, which is the basic science research that is, you know, more or less funded at national laboratories and universities, to the Pre-commercial scale, I would say pre-commercial scale. And that's where we end because we would hope that the industry and the stakeholders and the private sector would take the ball from there and actually build commercial scale facilities and replicate them across the country. Indeed, that is exactly what's happening. There are a number of companies out there, such as Lanzatech and Fulcrum and Jivo and so forth that are working to develop these technologies. Sometimes using funds from us, sometimes from USDA, sometimes from our loan guarantee offices.
0: And is there also interest, say, from the airplane operators, airlines and so forth, and the traditional suppliers of fuel to them?
1: Very much. There's a huge demand for sustainable aviation fuels. They are eager to collaborate with us on reducing the carbon footprint of aviation and they view this as a global problem, not just a US problem, but a global problem. They fly all over the world, and so they see that other countries are also interested, and the aviation carbon footprint is going to be increasing over time as more and more people want to fly, and as there's an increase in passenger demand for aviation. And the other aspect of this problem is that it's very difficult to reduce the carbon intensity of aviation with battery or electrification technologies, at least currently the way the technology stands right now. The battery energy density is just simply not high enough to allow commercial aircraft sure. to fly using batteries. No way uh, you're gonna hydrogen... take
0: 300 people from London to Sydney on a battery-operated plane.
1: Exactly, exactly, yes. That would be very difficult. And uh, some people are looking at hydrogen. That's even further away. So the aviation industry recognizes that they have a huge problem on their hands. They've got to decarbonize, but they have very limited options. And so a high energy density liquid fuel that is lower in carbon intensity than fossil fuels is really what's needed. And that's what we're working on.
0: And what are the timelines here?
1: So the timelines are, as I mentioned, the goals are 3 billion by 2030 and then by 2050, 35 billion, which would essentially be all of uh, the aviation needs by 2050. The timelines are very aggressive. Uh, We recognize that it's a very ambitious challenge. But, you know, I think that the aviation industry is used to dealing with ambitious challenges uh, and coming up with solutions. And if we put our mind to it and our uh, expertise of our national labs and our researchers, I'm sure that we can do that. It will take time. There's no question about that. We have to be patient about the build-out and eventual dissemination of these technologies. But I think we have to get started on it.
0: Zia Hack is a chemical engineer in the Bioenergy Technologies Office at the Energy Department. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Sure. Thank you, Tom.
0: We'll post this interview along with a link to the fuel roadmap at slash federal drive. Fly the federal drive with you. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Zell. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person, Ladies and gentlemen, we need you. The Benevolent and Protective Order of Elks is looking for you to help support veterans, help with youth scholarships, and be a force in your community. Being a member of the Elks is where you can do all this and much more. We are 31 lodges strong across the state of Iowa. Help pass on our principles of charity, justice, brotherly love, and fidelity. If interested, go to elks.org and use the lodge locator to find a lodge near you. Elks care. Elks Share. Brought to you by the Iowa Elks Association.